You started your business to help others. Somewhere along the way, you lost the capability of doing it on your own. Imagine how much different your business would be with an extra $10,000. Would you pay your rent? Would you buy new equipment? Would you pay your coaches more? Would you pay yourself? What if you could do that and donate to others? We started our business to help you. Finally, a, a payment solution for the micro gym space. We are proud to introduce you to WheelPay, a platform that allows you to both save money and be generous. With giving partners like the Phoenix, the Navy SEAL Foundation, the Green Beret Project, and other charitable organizations, you can trust that your donations will make a massive difference in the lives of others. Saving has never been easier. Giving has never been easier. Pay better. Do better. We'll pay. We are here because we are dedicated to helping the entire CrossFit community. Determined to elevate coaches, box owners, athletes, and everything in between, we believe that this mission will begin right here, right now. While this time and this goal begins with you, our hope is that you take this fire ignited within you and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day. All right. I see him over in the bottom of my screen. I don't know where he is on your screen. I'm sure I can move him around if I understood this Zoom thing a little bit better. But anyway, everyone knows Chris these days from the aerobic capacity course. Chris, if you can find Miles, he's already wearing your t-shirt as Tony pointed out. So so beautiful. Boy, look a, at you. <laughs> as Tony, Jersey Tony mentioned, it's like wearing the t-shirt to the to the concert. But anyway, if, <laughs> we have um, a lot of fans of you in here for probably mostly what you've done in the CrossFit world. And I think it sometimes goes underappreciated what you've done outside of the CrossFit world too, including your own athletic performance. Maybe that's a question we can start with of, of not quite yet, but is it, is it frustrating for all of your achievements to be what you've helped other people do, forgetting the fact that you too are quite the athlete? But I just want to welcome you to this, I was going to say show, but I guess it is kind of like the, the Tony show at times. But this is our coaches development group. Typically on Tuesdays, we do some lessons. We've gone through many different, many different things, such as teaching, seeing the air squat, et cetera. And then on Thursdays, we do Q and A's where we've been lucky to have some amazing guests. You now being one of the many from Chuck Carswell to Maliolo. Who else have we had? Anybody good guys? I can't remember. It's been Denise Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> He's the best. Best. Denise Thomas. Mm. Uh, um, we've had some amazing, we got James Hobart on next week. So, hey, you know, welcome. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day down. Are you still in Tennessee? I am. Yes. Yeah. No, it's nice to be here. It's good that nice group of people. Um, you know, just so everyone knows, I never, I didn't get any insights on what we're talking about. So this will be good. <laughs> I like that. Well, that's how I like to do my thing, but um, I don't yeah. know what we're talking about either, because like I said, Thursdays are Q&As, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of questions. You are, in my opinion, one of the best storytellers in CrossFit, which I think is 
what makes you a great teacher as well. Greg Almondson once said, uh, if you can tell a story, you'll get people to remember. See, and I remember that quote because he told the story. So I, I, I love how you relate everything back to that. So, but let me kick off with my question and I'll, you guys know the deal. Um, put your virtual hands up. Federico, I know you have, Federico is in Italy. Uh, I don't know where he is on your screen. Oh, he's wearing the shirt too. I just know, you wear the shirt too? Yeah. It's my, uh, my, my favorite country. I'm so sad I can't be there right now. So, so let me give you a little insight too, Chris. Um, we've had some amazing guests. I haven't done it justice. Uh, Coach Bergner was on, you know, plenty of great people. And every time I mention the guest, Federico gets very excited, like very, very excited. But when I mention you specifically, he lost it. He lost it. The oh. only thing I could... The only analogy I can make to give it justice is when you've been away for a week, you come home to see your dog so excited that it pees on you. That was like <laughs> what Federico was like, just peeing everywhere. So, is that fair, Federico? Yeah, I, I was waiting for Chris to come in Italy in Civitanova to see him for the second time, but the COVID wasn't fair. And he, he, he was. Oh, like yeah. That. That I love, I love that whole place by by Chipitanova. I love it, mm. and all the way down to to Bari, and yeah, the gym down there, Inc. and Kilos, that all the way up into the north into Tuscany. Yeah, I, someday, someday I will, I will live there someday. You're kind of like um, the Grateful Dead, like Federico's following you around, just seeing you. You know, over and over, he's got a van. He's selling veggie burritos out back. You know, that's you, I'd follow him because he's where I want to be. Oh, God. Yeah, God. yeah. So so before I see Miles, I see uh, Tony UP uh, with some hands up. Would you mind answering that question that I threw out there? I mean, you are a great athlete. I mean, you came in podium in the Ironman multiple times, yet... 90% of the people that recognize you these days, it's because you've helped other people become great athletes. Does that piss you off? No. I, I mean, I look back, I, you know, once you do something like that, no one can ever take it away. And that's really cool. But it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Um, so long ago, it probably, you know, doesn't count. Um, and so I don't think about that. I, I, I draw on that, um, that those experiences and those days, and, and it's a huge source of confidence uh, that I can um, rely on, especially when, you know, there's not a lot of information or direction and where to go in terms of programming. And so there's a lot of pluses behind it, but in terms of, of looking back or, uh, yeah, I, that's not my thing. Well, I just rewatched my high school junior year sectional championship match <laughs> before I got on here to get fired up. So I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it was it. a it was a great time. I mean, it I mean, my life was so good. I, here I was, I was, you know, in my early twenties. I mean, imagine this: you're in your early twenties, and just so you guys know, so. What I, I, I was a good swimmer. I was a really good swimmer. I would, I, 
typically I would come out of the water first in most triathlons, um, had the swim record for a while in Kona. Um, so it was, that was a, a huge plus for me. And, and one of the things while going through business school, so I, I originally wanted to get into accounting and be an accountant. And the reason why I switched into finance uh, and marketing was because I didn't understand uh, theory in, in, in the profession of accounting. And so my last year I left, but here I was, I was in college um, in a very difficult school, you know, and I've always have done well in school, you know, I've always had good grades and, but I got into the sport of triathlons and I had some success and um, school at times was boring. And so to travel the world and um, in my twenties while going to college, it was, it was really a cool thing. And, and one of the, the benefits that I found by competing that dovetailed with my education was sponsorships. Uh, one of the things that I never did was hire an agent, hire an attorney. I did all of my negotiating. I made a lot of really bad mistakes. I made a lot of commitments with shady people. And I learned a lot from those, those trial and error. But one of the things that I did was I recognized right away that companies they expect something in return. Just because you, you know, have great performances, it's quid quo pro. So what are you going to give me? What is the, the, the return that you're giving me for the sponsorship, whether it's product or dollars? And when it came down to dollars, they wanted, a, a, they wanted your first kid. And so what I did is I turned around and I said, what they want is they want advertising. They want promotion. They want reach. And the only reach back then was magazines, newspapers, and TV. And so I put together a deal where I said that for every second, and this was back when we had videotape, uh, for every second I was on local television, national television, or international television, I would get paid a certain dollar amount. So if I didn't get on TV and you didn't have to pay anything. I would support you and endorse you and do all the requirements. Well, the thing was, is that because I always came out of the water first, if it was a televised event, they had to show the leader. And so the way I made my money back then was I would do events uh, and swim as hard as I could. I'd make sure I got out of the water first. I'd ride the bike as hard as I possibly could stay in first until I got past, knew the cameras were off and uh, the obligation I had to finish the event. And so I just, I'd, I'd bring it home and um, imagine making literally tens of thousands of dollars when you're 20, 21 years old, going to college. It was, it was a good time for sure. <laughs> so that's how I bought my first house and, and um, you know, through that, that experience. And so I look back on it. It was, yeah, it was great in terms of accomplishments, but in terms of education, knowledge. It was, it was incredible. And so that's what I take the night when I have conversations with athletes today, I always want them to realize that athletic side will end. And do you have something to parlay it into? I was really excited when Gold's Gym hired me for $8 an hour. So yeah, I can understand where that tens of thousands is coming from. Are those the uh, Matt Frazier iconic or I can uh, paintings behind you. Yeah. So, um, 
I was doing a call with him and, and he's like, do you really nothing back there? And he's all, hold on. And yeah. Should I give him a call too? Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Go, no, well, he walked him on over here. So he lives like one minute from here. Yeah. He actually might come over here in the middle of this call. Oh, I'm sure Federico will be very pleased with that. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's open it up to some questions. Tony UP. So Tony is UP because he's in uh, the upper peninsula, Michigan. Oh, okay. Yep. Hey, really happy you're able to join us today, Chris. Really Thank psyched you. for this. Um, so I know. For, forgive the mustache. Like, forgive the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> probably like many people here, I have a lot of uh, athletes who like to do long distance running kind of on the mm -hmm. side or as their primary sport. And right now it's the middle of winter, so it's not a huge deal. But we mm -hmm. do have several people come spring, come summer that like to run a lot more in addition to their CrossFit training. Do you have any specific recommendations? on how to best maximize their time spent running uh, in addition to doing the CrossFit, like specific days that they should be doing a VO2 max day or a speed or a threshold day, just to make sure that they're not wasting their time just doing long, slow distance and get the best results that they want to get from running while still yeah. doing CrossFit. And then part two to that is I'm a cross-country skier. So selfishly, I wanna know if that same recommendation would carry over to cross-country skiing so that I can maximize my own training, cross-country skiing, while still doing CrossFit five, six times a week? Yeah, that's a great question. So th the key really is, is, is to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the athlete and as well as their goals, uh, and then also look at um, their type of training and, and create the balance um, across the movement of running as well as what they do in the gym. And so the key really is, is that the athlete, if, if they don't have any specific goals and they just are looking to maximize fitness, then we have to look at the experience level of the athlete as well. So if they are an entry level athlete, maybe have lost their fitness um, and want to use running to help them accelerate um, let's say weight loss, uh, running is a very good solution. The, the problem is, is that there's so much information now pushing high intensity interval training and its effectiveness on, let's say driving, like you said, VO2 max. The thing about it is, is that, yeah, that does work, but it's not the best protocol for, for a, a new runner. Um, that new runner, so long as they are at a, a heart rate, roughly 60% of their maximum, they're going to create a VO2 max adaptation. So what you want to do is you want to start them on really doing anything and not stressing about intensity. Time is the key. Now, ultimately, everybody is going to hit a plateau in their VO2. It's a hereditary genetic uh, limitation. And so what you need to recognize is that, yeah, high intensity will drive you to that and it will happen in a short amount of time. The bulk of your VO2 you can capture in 12 weeks. So then where's the rest of the improvement? It's through your sustainable speed, your lactate threshold. And that's where this moderate intensity comes in. For you and someone who has some mediocre level of experience in running, without a doubt, this is the highest opportunity. And this is where 
you should spend the majority of your time at that moderate level of intensity. Um, moderate would be a speed that would be somewhere around a speed that you could hold between 20 and 40 minutes at maximum effort. So most people it would be like your 5k uh, pace. And that's where I would target. Um, the more time you spend at that particular intensity, the more it will drive up or improve your lactate threshold or your maximum sustainable speed. Um, and that's where I find the most value. Without a doubt, that is the, the number one stimulus that I have every athlete I coach target, without a doubt. Um, now, I mentioned earlier and just touch on it briefly, you have to know the strengths and the weakness of the athlete. If they are a speed strength power athlete, a sprinter, then more than likely their weakness is going to be their, their aerobic intensity, right? Their, their easy intensity. And I define easy as 180 minus your heart, 180 minus your age. Um, on myself, I'm on the other side. I'm an endurance athlete. My recovery is exceptionally good. I could work long time domains. Um, my speed is a limitation. So what I need to do is I need to do high intensity interval training. It's the maximum value of my time. Um, you know, as an example, Conor McGregor, in my opinion, and you know, I. I've done a lot of looking into Conor McGregor and, and one of the things that Conor McGregor does is he is a explosive power-based athlete and all of his training is anaerobic high intensity interval work. And the problem is, is that Conor lacks cardio. If you take him out of that first five minute round, it's over. And he knows it. His confidence drops every time when it goes into the second round, third round, and getting slaughtered by Khabib in the fourth round. I mean, that's what happens to him. The problem that Connor has is what most CrossFitters struggle with. They think high intensity interval training is the solution. That's what Connor does. And what that does is accelerates his rate of fatigue as he progresses into longer time domains. So, an example, of what I mean by that, you take Rich Froning. Rich Froning. When I started with him, he ran a lap around the track in one minute and he could run a mile in six minutes. Jason Kalipa was slower than him in both of those. So he ran a, a mile and his mile was roughly three seconds slower and his 400 was roughly three seconds slower. But what's interesting is the, when you look at those results and you look at the slope, the rate of fatigue between those two distances and speeds, Jason Kalipa, when I started with him in 2012, had a better fatigue factor than Rich Froning did, meaning if it went long enough, Jason would have beat him. And that's the thing is that if you're always, let's say, Conor McGregor focusing on speed, it makes that fatigue factor even bigger. So in a, essentially what Conor's doing is he is making his weakness, which is going into the deeper rounds, worse. And that's the problem is that you have to identify what is that weakness because you, if you don't get it right, you're going to make their fitness worse. So Conor same, thing, same thing would hold true with, with cross-country skiing. Same thing. Remember, it's, it's two things. It's the intensity, right? The metabolic system, the energy, right? You're training that. You're training your body's ability to move and utilize oxygen but remember, it's also the muscles. 
I was going to say Conor McGregor also needs to learn how to check low calf kicks. But yeah, I, that's another thing that's really interesting about Conor, isn't it? Is that where was his arsenal of, of defenses? And what was interesting to me is that, yeah, you get good balance and stability with that long step, but it exposes you. And why didn't he shorten his stance? Um, ignoring the checking of it, but shorten the stance. And what's really interesting is that when Conor McGregor runs, he overstrides. He has a huge heel strike. But in the ring, where's his foot strike? His foot strike is on the ball of his foot. He is essentially in training. He is teaching something that he doesn't do in the ring. It's not specific. And he's hurting himself in that way. You have to do movement and intensities that are specific to the targeted adaptation or the targeted movement. So with everything you just said, it sounds like it would be wise for these guys as box owners, as coaches, to implement some longer days, something that, you know, we preach this high intensity, which typically the shorter it is, the more intense you can make it. We need these longer days, be it to improve your running or, you know, cross country skiing, but more so just so you have that in your arsenal. Yeah, you need to create a range of gears. Remember, every intensity, every single intensity in any movement utilizes different muscle groups. So if you think about it, you do a, a 10 second sprint, you have full recruitment, right? You will recruit all of your muscle fibers, everything from the slowest of the slow to the fast of the fast. But now let's slow it all the way down and talk about walking speed. You're not gonna recruit your fast twitch fibers for walking because there's not enough force. So what you wanna do is you wanna create this, this range of gears. You have to, you have to create this range of gears. And what you wanna do is you want to create efficiencies through practice of it, all right? That's the goal. The more you practice or more time you spend working that speed, the better the muscles will be at that particular intensity. They will be more efficient at consumption of your oxygen. And so we don't need to just do long time domain workouts. You can do it to where they're doing a high intensity interval and then they're doing an active recovery let's say jog to the end of the, the, the street and back. And you know what? Take as much time on that as you want. That's where you can get a mental break. And you as a coach, you're outsmarting them, right? Take as much time. I mean, if you got some kid in there and go, what if it takes me five minutes? And you go, that's fine. Just no walking. You can zigzag and take five minutes. But when you come back in, you're going to go hard. And I want that high intensity back again. But that active recovery is where you're going to build that aerobic base. You're going to build the structure, the ligaments, the tendons, the bones, the time on the feet. See, Christian, that's why I go for walks every day. It's nothing wrong with that. That's why, you know, a lot of people, they'll sit there and, and they'll, they'll, they'll push the intensity button all the time. And it's like, is that important? Like you guys, anybody that's on here right now, if you said, Hey, Chris, I want to improve my lactate threshold in the movement of running. How do you recommend doing it? Well, I would tell you that what we have to do is we have to identify that intensity. Where is it? And then what we want to do is we want to gradually build your capacity, meaning time, at that particular speed. And so how do we do that? Well, 
let's just say that I have you and the workout is I want you to accumulate 15 minutes at that particular intensity. My response in the beginning would be, you know what? I'll tell you, I'm going to give you four minutes within that 15 minutes to stand around and do nothing. So you have up to four minutes within that 15 minutes to regroup. If you feel it's too hard, you're feeling gassed. Focus on what you're really trying to get. And that is the accumulation of time. Take, for example, I coach some fast twitch athletes and they want to build their aerobic base. Problem is fast twitch athlete, they struggle with long volume, right? They do because they don't have a lot of slow twitch fibers. So how are they going to do an hour long run? How are they going to do it? Well, their choice is they got three of them. They can either go really slow, but let's say they want to run with me and hold my pace. Can they do that? Well, they're not going to be able to run at my pace. Why? Because I have a significant percentage of slow twitch fibers and I will not accumulate lactate as my muscles begin to fail. I won't. But when their muscles fail, the only way for them to maintain their speed is to recruit fast twitch fibers. And as soon as they do that, death is coming. So what should they do if they want to run at my speed? They should chop up their hour and take rest so that they never actually recruit fast twitch fibers. Because remember the purpose of a long hour, easy run is slow twitch fiber development, aerobic development. The other option that they have is they could do a morning run and an evening run and accumulate distance the exact same way. That's how the body works. It will accumulate in that same period of time. And so we could chop it. And so that's why it's like, you got to know a little bit about the background of the athlete, but as coaches, if we know that they're a speed athlete, fast twitch, we need a program slightly different for them to accomplish the same end goal. I love it. We can obviously dive deeper and deeper into this. Let's get to another question though. Miles. Something's wrong, Miles. Miles, Miles, Miles. You got your, got your Mickey Mouse filter on. <laughs> no. Let me, we'll come back to you. Um, I know Christine had a question, Christina, and then you dropped out. Do you still have your question? Um, yeah, sorry, I got kicked off for a second there. Um, hi, Chris. Hello. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for taking the time to be here. Um, I actually, You actually sort of already answered my question, but I guess I'll still ask it to see if you have any expansion on my thoughts. So um, my situation is more geared towards uh, the athlete who kind of has one pace <laughs> that they run, um, yep. you know, in a workout. So typically in a workout, if we're talking about scaling, I might say something like, um, say if we're doing Nancy, so five rounds per time, 400 meter run, 15 overhead squats. If we want to come in under this certain time domain, we want to keep each of those 400 meter runs under two and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like the gauge. So then I would say, if you know that it's going to take you longer than two and a half minutes to run 400 meters, let's cut that distance. But I fear that by doing that with every workout, it's not encouraging those athletes to actually get any faster. They're just constantly cutting their distance. 
Um, but I was wondering like what you were just saying about like, okay, take your time on the run. But like when you come in here, you're picking up that bar and you're giving me high intensity with every single one of those squats. Like, is that better than always scaling that distance? I guess would be my question. Yeah, like, how do one. I get them better? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, that's where a coach has this incredible power because you're going to dictate to the athlete what the targeted adaptation is going to be, right? You're, you, you pick that stimulus. And so if I was in your situation and I'm looking at someone who has to scale this, this two and a half minute time domain, right? To run four, 400 meters is, is your, by the way, is your run that you're talking about 400, is it out and back? Um, our gym, we like run out in the parking lot and like down the street a little bit, turn around and come back. Okay. Out and back. So here's the thing is that everything has to be measurable, everything. So you're measuring the 400 and what you're doing is you're, you're giving an athlete the latitude. If they feel they can't do 400 meters in two and a half minutes, you're giving the latitude to shorten it. The thing is, is they need to know if they ran 400 meters last time and the target was two and a half minutes and they shortened it, what was that distance that they actually went? It has to be measurable because part of it is, is that they're never going to benchmark any performance improvements. They're always just going to say, oh, I'm just being short like I was last time. But are you shorter than last time? Or are you a little bit further? And so part of it as a coach, your job is to build their confidence. And the only thing that's going to build their confidence is that they're running a further distance in the same amount of time. And if it's not measurable, then that they're not going to get anything from it. I also feel though, that you can do workouts that are not based upon distance. So what you're going to do is level the playing field for the slower athlete. And this is really important. We have a tendency in CrossFit to feature the biggest and the baddest and the strongest, and we leave the 99% behind. And the problem is, is that if you finish last every time, you're probably not going to want to come back. It's going to wear on you. And sometimes it's worthwhile to program based upon time, not distance, so that everybody is going to run one minute out and one minute back. So in your warm up, what you're going to do is as a coach, you're going to have a watch and you're going to run everybody one minute out. And you're at the end of the one minute, three, two, one, stop. Everybody marks their turnaround spot. So now what the workout's going to be is not a 400. You're going to run to your turnaround, which you established at one minute. Everybody is going to turn around at the same relative intensity. And so it's fair. And it's an easy way for you to scale a run based upon ability, creating a relative intensity. I like writing workouts that if it's for two people or a class, workouts are based upon time. Yeah, I, re I really, really like that because I feel like the same people get targeted every single time. Like, oh, I have to cut the distance in half because I can't run X. Right. And the problem is, is that what happens with them when they go out in the run and they're able to turn around in the middle, their, their, their intensity is not going to be the same from round to round to round by going to a set turnaround point. It needs to be the same so that they can see the progression as they move through a multi-round workout. Because you may say, I want your first round to be the fastest 
and I'm going to limit your total amount of rest. And so by design, where this is a lactate tolerance workout, you're going to naturally get slower and slower and slower. You also might say that we want consistency. And so you may even tell them, you know what? We're going to do a multi-round workout and we're going to get two minutes of rest in between each interval. And what we're going to be judging you on is your finishing time consistency from round two in comparison to round one. If you miss by, let's say 10 seconds or more, you owe 10 burpees. And that is done during the two minutes of recovery. It, it, that's where a coach can, can, can come up with a creative way to create a quality. If you're listening to this right now, it's because you're a fan of best hour of their day and probably me, but not so much Fern. That tends to be the norm. But if you are listening, we just want to ask you for one favor. Please support us on Patreon. Patreon is where we put some bonus episodes up. It's really the only thing we ask for. We've been doing this podcast for two years now. And we do it because we have a love for fitness. We have a love for helping others, a passion for developing other people and helping them become the best possible coach that they can be. And, and we do it because we love it. We don't ask for anything, but we are asking that you support us on Patreon. It's $6 for the price of your fancy frappuccino with hazelnut syrup or whatever it is you get over it. Starbucks, you can support the show. And as we get more and more supporters on Patreon, by the way, it's patreon.com forward slash best hour of their day. We're going to be adding even more. Right now, it's a free bonus episode where we answer all of your questions, but we plan on putting so much more out there exclusive and early content access to things that, you know, everybody else doesn't get. So once again, we don't ask for much. So if you love the show, if we're helping you, chances are if you listen to this show and you're a coach or a box owner, we've helped you make way more than $6. And not only that, we've helped just make your life better. Whether we entertain you or whether you've implemented many of the awesome things we talk about here on the show, check it out. If you don't, you know what? You can keep listening to the show. You can keep tuning in on a regular basis. Yeah, we put three episodes out every week. You don't have to support us on Patreon. We still want you to listen, but if you can, we appreciate it. I, I love that too, because you're not necessarily rewarding the best performance. You're rewarding specific performance to that person. And like yep. you said, I think something all these guys understand is it's got to be fun. And if it's Sally comes in every day and she sees that she's last because she's there's nothing she can do. It's not going to be fun for her, but I love the, I love that. And I mean, for you guys, that goes back to your lesson plan too. What's the stimulus of Nancy? Well, like you said, Christina, you're not wrong. It's 12 minutes, but you know, think about the other, the stimulus is also, Hey, the run should take this much time. The squat should be unbroken. Mm -hmm. What can we start doing to really dig into that? And I know from my experience, once that garage door is open, you're running a 400, every round, the likelihood of somebody going less increases, right? They see other people starting to lap them. It's like, not about them. It's about, they start to feel self-conscious and bad. But I think if you took that, this is your distance, no matter what happens, get to it every round. 
there's going to be less likelihood of kind of self-scaling during yep. a workout. Yeah, I did. Um, so I just did a workout with, with Mayhem and it was, how do you take a running workout and convert it to a skier, a row or a biker? How do you do it? Well, the workout was three rounds and it was three rounds of uh, four by 400 meters running. And Tasia Persevich, her moderate pace for that workout would have been two minutes. So what we do is in the class, what I had is I had people look at the two minute time domain. And now what we're gonna do is we're not running, we're gonna bike and it's two minutes at this same moderate intensity, right? We've established now time. So everybody's gonna go two minutes. How do we define this level of intensity? Well, a very easy way to create a, a moderate intensity is to have people on the biker, the skier, or the rower, row, let's say, or perform for 10 seconds at maximum intensity, 10 seconds. You take that average wattage for that 10 seconds and divide by two, and there's your moderate pace. Now what we have done is we've created a relative intensity, a relative moderate intensity for three different pieces of equipment. So no matter what you picked, it's gonna be the same for everybody. And that's what we want is we want the class to realize we're all working the same, meaning it creates this unity. And the shame really is, is like, let's say for example, like I could run a mile in five and a half minutes. Well, what if you can't run a mile? Let's say your mile time is nine minutes. Everybody's gonna applaud me. Wow, look at that, you did five and a half minutes. But the thing is, is I'm more impressed because you just ran a mile at the same intensity. It was a max effort, but I was done in five and a half minutes and you went another three and a half minutes longer than me. It's way more impressive that they went nine minutes than my five and a half, yet I get the attention. That's a problem. That's a, that's a really great way to look at that. I love it. Well, imagine you're a kid and you're late in developing and now you, you, you get this kid, you know, that's, that's, that is, is getting featured. And it's like, you don't, as a kid, you don't know what the problem is. And that's where some real destruction can occur. And you see that in adults, right? That, that, and we all as coaches have seen it. There is no difference between the insecurity of a, a teen and an adult who has lost their fitness, you know, for job, whatever, stress, whatever reason, and they're trying to get back into it. And so we must limit negative comments, right? Insecurities, condescending remarks, because that will auger them into the earth just like a teenager, and they'll never come back. As a 42-year-old child that's still developing, I completely we all understand are. it here. And, but... And I'll say what you're talking about is for you guys is challenging to implement, but, but what you can do is have those private conversations. I think exactly what Chris just said, Hey, yeah, you took longer, but think about how much harder and for how much longer you just work. Don't be afraid to have those private conversations and celebrate them. in at the end of class, if you wrap up with five, 10 minutes to go, as you should give those shout outs. Hey, Chris, great great PR on that run, but how about Sally who pushed it for nine minutes? Those are, those are important to have. All right, Miles, did you take off that Mickey Mouse filter? Sound better? 
Ah. Uh, you sound, you still sound like Mickey Mouse. This is weird. I switched my phone. Gotcha. Hey, Chris, appreciate hey, you uh, joining us. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to give you a huge shout out. Before I took your course, I literally did CrossFit with the Jason Calipe uh, method. I just went out strong and hope I hung on. <laughs> and since then, I t all my times are down. All my times on all my benchmark wads. And uh, even at my gym, they call me the pacing coach. Interesting that you've been taking this course at the same time, yet Chris gets the credit for your improvement. And I just you know, get pushed to the side. I taught squats today. And everybody <laughs> said that was the best squat class I ever had. And that's, that's for you, Jay. So. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, nice so. job, Jay. My ego is not as, as you know, small as Chris's. <laughs> you didn't help me anything with my benchmarks, but hey. Um, Chris, I yes. saw an article a few weeks ago on Morning Chalk Up talking about Matt Frazier. And I think they quoted you as saying that he has 13 gears, as you kind of put it, um, that he trains. Yeah. And that really interested, interested me. And I, I really wanted to, you to kind of walk us through, like, how would he walk? How would he set up a wad and kind of pace himself and kind of look for the correct stimulus for, say, a, a 50 percent effort? So, kinda... Right. So the very first thing that everybody, all the elite athletes do is they look at a workout and they assess the time domain it's going to take them to finish. And that defines their intensity. And so if, if let's just say that I've created for all of you, 13 different speeds, essentially the speeds that you are getting are your 10 second speed um, all the way to a three hour speed. And what you're going to do is you're going to develop that, that motor memory as well as what it feels like at that intensity, right? The feel. And you're going to create those efficiencies at those various levels of intensity. You know what it feels like. And so you're not dependent on, you know, a timer, a heart watch, a GPS, you know, by feel what that particular time domain is. And so with Matt, his is the, the programming that he gets is very advanced. It's programmed based upon time. So he'll get workouts that focus on a one to two minute time domain. He'll get workouts that focus on five to six. I'll send him 10 to 12. I'll send him 20 to 30. And every one of those time domains has three different workouts. So one will be for the track, one will be for the air runner, and one will be for the open road. And so what he'll end up doing based upon what he does in the gym because I, I don't want to be involved, he'll pick target time domains. So he may get what, somewhere around 16 workouts in a week, just in the movement of running, and he'll only do two of them. But what we focus on is time. It's a time domain, not distance. How fast can you move for a 20 minute time domain? a 30 minute, a 40, a 60, a 90, 120, 180. What is your jog recovery? What is your walk recovery? Okay. Maybe to follow up that question, how can you fail at that? Like if I say I'm going to do a 30 minute walk, of course I'm going to fall into a little bit more of a slower aerobic capacity. Right. But how do you know you've missed it? Well, so you have to establish what they are, the speeds. So what are those intensities? You have to define so it's, them. It's just basically so, my speed. Right. So if, 
So Frazier's, so I mentioned, so let's say he gets 16 workouts. Every single one of those workouts has a target speed. Every one of them. So there's a targeted distance for the interval. There's a targeted speed for the interval. There's a targeted recovery, right? Duration and type of recovery. So some of his recovery is walk, some of it's jog, some of it's run. What are those speeds? And the same thing with the total volume of the workout. So that's why like those athletes, it's very difficult to program because of the precision required. You're not creating... The easiest way for, for a coach to program precision is to not define the recovery. I want you to walk hundred meters for your recovery. Well, I've seen people walk hundred meters in five minutes. I've seen people also walking in a minute. It's a, it's a catch-all. So a new coach that is trying to figure out the relationship between volume intensity and recovery, my recommendation always is focus on your volume and focus on the speed and then create a catch-all for your recovery for any mistakes you might've made. And that will help you learn how to manage recovery, like how to program it. That's the hardest thing that I do is, is building recovery into a workout because it must be specific. It's as important as volume, as intensity. Because honestly, for most elite CrossFitters, it is the recovery that's their limitation, right? The, the, their limitation is they just get tired. So if you have an athlete that's telling you that they just get tired, it is the recovery that's preventing them from doing more work. And most CrossFit coaches, what they will do is they'll say, oh, we're trying to do more. I need to do either more volume or I need to make you work faster, a higher level of intensity. And that's not what they've just told you. They just said, I get tired. Fatigue is limiting my ability to do more work. So imagine if they are, let's say, doing a 100-meter sprint into a 300-meter jog. The question is, is how fast can they jog after that 100-meter sprint and be able to recover to repeat that over and over again? So... So let me relate this back to something you said earlier about Conor McGregor. Where do you find that balance of he fades in rounds two to five versus he's just not recovering in the one minute between rounds? So one of the things that you could watch on Conor, does he have a recovery protocol between rounds? For example, so, this past fight, he stood he between doesn't the have, two rounds. It's random. So every athlete needs to have like a warm-up ritual, it needs to be a recovery protocol. What is, so if I gave a workout and I said, look, you know, that it's, you're going to do a total of 12 by two minutes and you get 30 seconds of rest in between. Um, but every four, I'll give you three minutes. So you get 30 seconds after a two minute interval. What's your protocol? Do you even know what it is? It's lay down fetal but, position, which is totally good <laughs> if it works. And so part of it is, is that what Connor needs to, to, to establish is the value and he doesn't respect it, the, the value of recovery in there. He's not, he gets one minute and he's not focused on, on, for example, does he train and put ice packs on him in between uh, sparring? Doubt it. 
And so part of it is, is that what Connor needs to recognize is that it's that, that between the round protocol, but in his training, the mistake is, and that's what makes CrossFit so tough. We don't, we don't know what the event is. So how do you train somebody for an event? You don't know what it is. Connor knows that it's a possibility that he's going to have to actually be in the ring for 29 minutes, train for 29 minutes and create gears based upon if it's one round, that's a speed. If it has to go two rounds, there's another intensity. Now three rounds, we're up to total of, if it's three rounds, he's got a total of 17 minute time domain. So what we do is we look at time and we define the level of intensity based upon that time. Just as if you were gonna run one lap around the track as fast as you can versus four laps, you're establishing two different speeds. And so for all of us, what we do is we look at what is the targeted amount of time and then define the intensity around that. But if you've not trained that particular intensity based upon that time, your body won't recognize it and you will underperform. So, so bringing it back to Miles's question, you, you mentioned Matt has 13 gears and you know, his, his time can go from zero to 120 minutes as you alluded to. What should the average CrossFitter, how many gears should we be training for? How many time do, you know, we're not, your average member doesn't so care good. about. Wow, great question. Well, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, I that, because that's the truth. We're all driving. We're, the credit. <laughs> We're driving for efficiency, right? We, we don't have unlimited time. There's too many things we have to do. So what we want to do is we want to find intensities that maximize adaptation. And the thing is, is that we know that we've got three different muscle fiber groups. We know that we have three different energy systems. Nicely enough, the body dovetails those three energy systems with the three different muscle fiber groups perfectly. So what we do is we have three different core intensities along with a maximal sprint speed or a one rep lift, right? So that would be considered a fourth. And what we want to do is we want to actually target these three intensities so that we maximize those three different levels of muscle fibers and three different metabolic pathways. And so, you know, from the, uh, the aerobic side of it, right, that oxidative pathway or slow twitch muscle fibers, this would be considered an easy intensity. And so how do we define easy? Well, we need to define easy as we're maximizing the development of all of our slow twitch aerobic fibers. And what is that intensity? That intensity is somewhere around 180 to 185 minus your age. If you did a VO2 max test, that would be what we call a respiratory exchange rate of 0.85. It's the relationship where half of your energy is coming from carbohydrates and half of it is coming from fat. This aerobic threshold intensity that I, that I, this 180, 185 minus your age, which is maffetone. Phil, so Phil maffetone is a good friend of mine back in the eighties, did all, a lot of his studies on me and, and people that I trained with. And the key is, is that you wanna train this lower intensity because like I said, half of your fuel is coming from fat. If I go faster than this intensity, now I am burning a greater percentage of carbohydrates over fat. I never wanna lose the ability to utilize fat as a fuel. And so this intensity is very important. This is the only intensity that I would ever use heart rate. 
Um, and it helps CrossFit athletes understand what easy is. It's a quick check. You can do a quick check, do heart rate, six seconds, multiply by 10, boom, there you go. Mine, I want to see between 12, roughly 12 and 13, somewhere in that range. And so that's where I would target. Now, the next level up is where we have all of our intermediate muscle fibers, right? Our, our fast twitch 2A fibers, our hybrid fibers. These are fibers that can get utilized oxygen as a fuel, and they can also use that anaerobic side without oxygen as a fuel. And what we recognize is, is that if we pick the intensity that utilizes all of those intermediate fibers, we are right near our lactate threshold, our maximum sustainable speed. And so that would be roughly based upon that, what I call a moderate intensity. I would put it somewhere in that 20 to 40 minute time domain intensity. It's not super fast. Um, and then the next tier up would be targeting our aerobic capacity, our VO2 max. Um, and this is what I would define as high intensity. So it's interesting to me that CrossFit, it, 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 the, the methodology behind it, it says constantly varied functional movement, high intensity. Okay, how are we defining high intensity? Why is that even in there? What is the physiological adaptation of high intensity? We need to define it. And in my opinion, high intensity, the purpose of it is from science and research, it drives VO2 max. It drives your aerobic capacity, your body's ability to bring in oxygen and utilize it as a fuel. And we recognize that time domains between roughly six and eight minutes at maximal effort drives improvements in your VO2. And so that's how I would define it is that what we're doing is we're creating a, a central and peripheral adaptation um, through this high intensity training. And the way we're defining it is what's the best intensity to maximize VO2? And how are you defining that high intensity? It's that six to eight minute time domain pace. So we could chop it up like, you know, if you ran a mile in six minutes, I could chop up that intensity, which is 22 and a half seconds per 100 meters and break it up into rest. But the key is if I break it up into recovery, how much time are you at the targeted VO2 max intensity? Yeah, you get there in that 100 meters, maybe for a, a second or two, and now you rest and then you go again and then you hit it again and now you rest you would be much better served in doing a six minute unbroken mile because the majority of that mile would be at the targeted high intensity. So those are the, the, the three that I would, I would target. Um, and that's the reasons why everything must have a purpose because if you guys look, if, if an athlete doesn't understand why they're doing it, they're never going to do it. I'm surprised you know my mile time, but yes, I totally agree with, with everything you've said there. So last two questions. Yep. I, we have to make sure we find time for Federico. Federico, yes. Christian's going to go first. Make your question succinct. Sometimes he just rambles on. So Federico, this is your time. Short, specific, actionable. Christian, what's your question? Um, so we were, when we talk about um, aerobic capacity and even with energy systems, it's easy to... I uh, sort of think about it in a vacuum and we can talk about mile times and, and distance and time when we relate it to running, but how 
how is that affected when we start introducing different modalities? So doing a, a mile run is different than doing, or doing a, like a, a run in an hour is different than doing Murph. Yep. And so how does that affect that? So you're right. Every movement is unique. And so part of it is, is that we need to help athletes understand intensity while they're doing a variety of movements. That's why I don't like a heart watch. You know, I, I see Conor McGregor, for example, we were picking on him, but the truth is he wears a heart watch all the time. And I'm not sure what it's telling him because every movement has its own unique VO2 and lactate threshold. And so what we need to do is we need to learn by feel what that is. And so part of it is, is that there is, the main way is, is your breath, your breathing. And I think that this is an area where um, uh, we need to, we really need more coaches to understand because when I look at an athlete, we need to make an assessment. Are they just uncomfortable because this is something they've never done before, or are they in a non-sustainable intensity? And so part of it is, it's the breath, the breath that's tell, that tells, right? When we breathe, it's, it's a sign of demand for oxygen. Are we hyperventilating or are we in control? And so understanding the breath is key. Now, I'll just quickly tell the group here. Um, so this talk test, so I'm sure we've all heard of this talk test. There's two different types of talk test. If we're able to communicate like this and you are moving, then you would be considered at that aerobic threshold, easy pace that I mentioned earlier, all right? If you could talk. If you're just where it's, it's kind of getting a little bit labored to say a three-sentence paragraph. But if you have a very simple sentence like, I'm fit, I'm strong, I'm here to become a better person. If you struggle in saying that, now you are at that lactate, lactate threshold intensity. And if it's an hour long workout, that's probably too hard for you because remember lactate threshold is something that's probably in that 20 to 40 minute time domain. So those two tests, and those are backed by science. You guys can look it up, talk test. Matter of fact, Jay, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. You can send it to your group. Will do, thank you. So yeah. I'm gonna have to jump on a call here in a sec. Okay, I wanna give Federico a chance, yep. but speaking on that, the, the concept of nasal breathing has become pretty well known in the CrossFit community. James Nestor's book, Breath. Yep. Real quickly, what's your feeling on that when it comes to everything you just said? I think it has a lot of value. I think the key is we have a lot of different options as far as coaches to, to help create improvement. And is that the highest value of your athlete's time? So a good example of that is Froning. He heel strikes. Does he need to change his running form and risk potentially creating a whole host of other injuries? Or is there something since his heel strike is not an overstride, should we focus on something else given our limited amount of time? And that's the thing is that the coach really needs to decide. Is that the highest and best use of the person? And so what I always look for first is safety. And then what I do is I, 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 create the hierarchy of, of priorities from there. Last question, Federico. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. Thanks for your time. I just wanted to know how many steps 
per breath cycle should I take if I'm running at one mile pace at 180 step per, steps per minute? And the same question for a 5K pace. That was on my SATs, that same question. So, yeah. So for me, I, I, for me, and I would have to look at you, um, if you're getting very close to that lactate threshold intensity, um, and in a mile, you're going to go over it in that, that last lap for sure. So you are going to be in a non-sustainable pace uh, in the last lap on a mile. So through laps one through three, you're probably going to be on a four count. And in that entire last lap, you are going to be on a three, probably in the last 200 meters, you'll go to a two count. So in the five- One step inhale, one step exhale. You will take two steps exhale, two steps inhale. So it will, look, it will sound like this. It will go, one, two, three, one, two, three, ha. That's a four count, but it's two out, two in. Two out, two in, okay. In a 5K, you're going to be at a four count the majority of the time until you decide to make your move to the finish line. And in that case, you're going to drop to a three count and then a two count and then lay on the ground. For me, I start accelerating um, in a 5K. I start building up my speed somewhere around 800 meters out, and I take a substantial risk at about 400 meters out. Okay? Okay. On the rower? Yep. Same thing. The thing is, is that a rower is tricky because you have to create that pattern, and where is that pattern going to be? So your stroke rate is one of the things that's going to dictate your breathing pattern. Remember, if you breathe on a four count at lactate threshold in running, does it, does it match up with what you do in the gym? It needs to be consistent. It needs to be reliable. It needs to be predictable. And most people have randomized breathing based upon the movements they're doing. That awareness is important. So you never miss an episode of the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at best hour of their day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.